on our Christmas week, Sunday morning. <clears throat> Just by way of heads up, we're going to have a Christmas type of message this morning, and we will as well next week. I'd like to, I always like to have two weeks, but I didn't do last week because I wanted to f continue in Acts last week. So we're going to do one before, one after, which is okay too, right? Is that acceptable, Ken? Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Good. Let's have a word of prayer, shall we? Lord, to help us this morning as we consider uh, the story of uh, your uh, son's birth into our world, and as we consider the ramifications of that, and Lord, I pray you'll challenge us and encourage us and remind us of this story that we know so well. And uh, Lord, I pray that you will just warm our hearts to worship you and to be people who marvel that God would break through time and space and enter into our universe, into our world, and into our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you will glorify yourself this morning in our study. In your name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Christmas is always, Christmas time, that is, is always one of those times that, that I, I love and I struggle with. Appreciate your confession this morning, um, Charles, because it, it kind of captures the idea. I, I, I marvel at Christmas. I, I, Bruce's family jokes around about how, like, Christmas time, I'm a kid. I become a kid again. We, we've got a 14-plus-foot Christmas tree at home. You know, I'm, I'm a kid. I, I, like, my, my view is, go big or go home, you know? And, and so for me, it's not like, well, 10 feet's cool, but last year we had a 12-footer. And so I, I said, this year, let's go 14. And <laughs> in order to decorate the top of the tree, I actually had to bring in an extension ladder and lean it against the ceiling in order to reach all the way up to get it because my, my giant ladder that is like a morphing ladder I couldn't quite reach the last three feet. And so I had to bring something else in to finish it off. I had to get uh, a running friend to come over and help me haul the tree into the house. Um, <laughs> it's, it's huge. Uh, you know you're in trouble when, when, the, um, when where you buy your tree, they cut it down for you, and then they got to load it in the back of the pickup truck with a forklift. You know you're in trouble from the get-go. Get the idea. Uh, but it, I just I love Christmas. I, I, I'm like a kid at Christmas. Um, Ruth always laughs at me. That's true. She laughs at me all the time. Um, so on one level, it's the tradition of Christmas that I love. The lights, the family time, the uh, presents, giving and receiving presents, the, in my case, hot apple cider spiced. Um, the music of Christmas is great, isn't it? Unless you're trying to sing it corporately, then it's not as great. It's a challenge sometimes because we only sing it once a year, right? And so it gets a little more challenging. They're not the easiest songs to sing, by the way, or play. I just love all the atmosphere of Christmas and, and the tradition of Christmas. I love the, the idea of how people are, well, at least supposedly nicer to each other during Christmas. Uh, supposedly, anyway, unless you get in the car and drive down the Schuylkill Expressway. Uh, that that kind of is all deals off, right? All deals are off on that one. But you get the idea. So from a tradition standpoint, I love Christmas. From a Christian standpoint, I love Christmas. I revel in Christmas because at the fullness of time, right, God sent his son because we were desperate people. I love Christmas for that picture of, of, of the Redeemer being born. Because I'm, I'm a desperate man. I need, I need a redeemer. I need someone to deal with my sin. I need, I need someone to rescue me. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. I desperately need a redeemer. I love that. 
I love the storyline of Christmas that doesn't end on the on the 26th or at midnight the 25th in our tradition. But it flows all the way through to Good Friday. And it flows all the way through because the Christmas story flows all the way through to Easter. Does it not? It doesn't even end at Easter. <laughs> because it continues on to to 40 days later, right? What happens 40 days later? Ascension. And then it doesn't even end there, does it? Because then it flows to where? It flows to Acts chapter 2, doesn't it? Right? The Christmas story flows to Acts chapter 2. Day of Pentecost. The Spirit coming with power. It changes everything, right? He changes everything. It doesn't even end in Acts chapter 2. Because I wasn't born yet. It continues on to my birth and my rebirth, more importantly, doesn't it? And yours. But it doesn't even end there, does it? Because the Spirit doesn't come with power just for a moment. It comes with power and stays, right? He, I, said, I said it. That was a really bad statement. He comes with power and stays, right? And he remains. The Christmas story ultimately doesn't ever end, does it? Because one day he's going to return. And he's going to take those who are his children home to be with him. And it doesn't even end then. Because the ramifications of the Christmas story echo all the way through into eternity, doesn't it? Because we will live with him for eternity. What did he say? When I come back for you, I prepared a place for you, and I return to do what? To take you to be with me. And so we'll be there together forever. The grand conclusion of the Christmas story is that. Redemption accomplished and fulfilled completely. Oh, for that day. But that's not the day we're at, is it? <laughs> right? That's not our day. It will be, but that's not our day. We're here. <laughs> and that brings the sad part, doesn't it? I mean, it's sad on several levels. I mean, from a tradition standpoint, as much as I love the Christmas tradition, it's really kind of sad, isn't it? Last year, I gave you my heart... What happened? What happened? The very next day, what? He gave it away. How is that part of Christmas tradition? What in the world? But it is, in a sad kind of way, right? In a horribly sad kind of way. Even Grandma got run over by a reindeer. Like, what in the world? But what a sad part of, of the storyline, isn't it? Why is it a sad part? Because Grandma got ran over by a reindeer? Is it a sad part because somebody gave their heart away to somebody and the next day it was all over? No, the really sad part about it is what? Yeah. And those songs are evident. Because what are those songs doing? They're purposefully doing what? I'm not saying the writers purposely did it, but they're purposely doing what? Yes. They're purposefully ignoring Christ. Aren't they? Purposefully.
to the point where, well, I don't want to get into that, but my point is, it's from a tradition standpoint, I love the tradition of Christmas, but the tradition of Christmas is really schizophrenic, isn't it? It's really schizophrenic. I love the Christian Christmas. But you know what? It's still schizophrenic. Because too much of even our Christmases are what? Focused where? Family, gifts, trees, ornaments, shopping, food, parties. But not Jesus, right? I mean, there's, if I may say this, there's no, almost no more obvious way of, of seeing that Revelation 3.20 picture than Christmas time. Remember the Revelation 3.20? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. You've heard me talk about that before. That's not referencing salvation. That's referencing the church. The problem is the church of Laodicea is gathering together to worship, but they're not worshiping him. They've forgotten about him. There's almost no more clear picture of that than, the, than what is too often the case with Christians and Christmas. There, there, there's a grotesque disconnect too often between the birth of Jesus, remove the word Christmas for a second if we would, the birth of Jesus, our Redeemer, Messiah, Emmanuel, which we've been singing about this morning. And what actually functionally happens. It's almost like the church of Laodicea at Christmas time. Does that make sense a little bit? So I find as I think about Christmas, I love it and I get frustrated. Not just what I see, what I see out there, what I see here. Does that make sense? What I see right here as well. When I look at the scriptures, though, it is interesting. Um, it's found there, too. You realize that? Like, woo! The Redeemer. And then all the weird stuff. Right? I mean, you can see it real clearly. You have Luke chapter 2. In fact, you could turn there if you want to. We're going to look at several different passages this morning. But Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8, And the in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with 
great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And there's the statement. Uh, you find what here? You find fear. In their case, rightfully so, because as we talked about before, the silent uh, God had promised to go silent, and he did, because they didn't repent. And so if God's going to appear, people still aren't changed, they aren't repentant, and so the result is if, if God's going to appear, if angels are going to appear, and angel, if angelic beings are going to appear, appear to someone, it's going to produce fear. And the angels, quite to the contrary, say, don't worry about it, don't fear Instead, I bring to you, the angel says, I bring to you good news of what? Great joy, which shall be for all the people. Why? Because Jesus is born, correct? Because the, the Messiah has been born in the city of David. Great joy. And the idea is, there is nothing more worthy of joyful praise than this. Right? Isn't that the idea? This, in other words, the angel is saying to the shepherds, this should bring you and anyone else who realizes it to the heights of joy, to the Himalayas of joy. Does that make sense? It should bring you to the greatest of all joys because why? Because in realizing that the Redeemer has been born, all that you fear will be what? will be dealt with and destroyed and wiped away. All that you fear will be removed. Great joy. That's what he said. But you remember what John 1 says? He came unto his own and what? His own didn't receive him. You know what that's called? Schizophrenia, isn't it? Sadness. Wait, it's supposed to be time of great joy, isn't it? It's supposed to be the heights of joy, the mountaintops of joy. I didn't receive him. And then right after that, John records, but for, to, for anybody who does receive him, what? It's a gift of God unto eternal life. Heights of joy! But yet we're still living in here, this place called Earth, right? And we're still living with sinful hearts, aren't we? Aren't we? And our world is still full of sin, isn't it? And it's full of people who still hate Jesus, isn't it? We've, we've got millions and millions, billions, I would argue, billions of people who are just like Saw light, <laughs> you know, before he got saved. Like Saul light. They're like him, but they're, they're just not, they don't have the power or the aggressiveness he has. They hate him just as much. 
And they're after what Christ is all about to destroy it, aren't they? Aren't they? It's everywhere, isn't it? That's why the scriptures describe unsaved people as the enemies of God. <laughs> because they're the enemy, they're, they're the haters of what Christ stands for. It's interesting, uh, one of my favorite songs, Christmas songs, has always been, <clears throat> I, heard the bell on, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. I don't know if you guys like that song or not. I really like that song. I didn't, I used to, let me just tell you my story. I used to really love it. And then I found something out about it, just one tidbit of things about it, and I started, I decided I didn't like it anymore. And then I found out the bigger story, and then I liked it again. And the, what I'm trying to say is this. Um, it was written during the Civil War era. There are <clears throat> some Civil War songs that we call Christian songs that when you understand the background to the song, they're actually a really bad song. Like Onward Christian Soldiers. It's a, it's a pretty bad song. You know what the song's all about? It's all about, we in the North are right and they're wrong, God's on our side. It's, it's, it's like, it's, it's like I'm trying to use God for my ends. Does that make sense? That's all it is. I thought that's what this was once I discovered that it was written during the Civil War era. And I found the background story to the song, which was a poem before it was a song. Um, let me read the poem to you, if I may, and then I'd like to tell you the story briefly. <clears throat> Actually, I'll read the story to you about, about the background. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth the cannon thundered in the south and with the sound the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if an earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks a song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth. Goodwill to men. That's the song. We sing it. We know the song, don't we? But the storyline behind the song is really kind of intriguing. I'll, I'll just read it to you. The, in March of 1863, 18-year-old Charles Appleton Longfellow walked out of his family's house on Battle Creek in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and unbeknown to his family, boarded a train 
bound for Washington, D.C., traveling over 400 miles across the eastern seaboard in order to join President Lincoln's Union Army to fight in the Civil War. So, I don't know if you got that. Longfellow's son left, didn't tell his parents. Charles was the oldest of six children born to Fanny Elizabeth Appleton and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the celebrated literary critic and poet. Charles had five younger siblings, a brother and three sisters. Less than two years earlier, Charles' mother, Fanny, had tragically died after her dress caught on fire. Her husband awoke from a nap, tried to distinguish, extinguish the flames as best he could, but first with a rug, then with his own body. But she had already suffered severe burns, and she died the next morning on July 10, 1861. And Henry Longfellow's facial burns were severe enough, he was unable even to attend his wife's funeral. He would grow a beard to hide his burned face, and at times, I'm trying to read this one part here because it's, um, Cut the line in half. At times he... He feared that he would be sent to an asylum on account of his grief. When Charlie, as he was called, arrived in Washington, D.C., he sought to enlist as a private with the, with the 1st Massachusetts Artillery. Captain W.H. McCartney, commander of Battery A, wrote to Henry Wadsworth Longfellow for a written... For written permission to Charlie to become a soldier. Um, HWL, as his son referred to him, granted the permission. Longfellow later wrote to his friends, his friends Charles Sumner, Senator from Massachusetts, John Andrews, Governor of Massachusetts, and Edward Dalton, Medical Inspector of the Sixth Army Corps, to lobby for his son to become an officer. But Charlie had already impressed his fellow soldiers with, and superiors with his skills, and on March 27, 1863, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the 1st Massachusetts Cavalry, ascend, cavalry sorry, ascended, uh, assigned to Company G. After participating in the fringe, on the fringe of the Battle of Chancellorsville in Virginia, April 30th through May 6th, Charlie fell ill with typhoid fever and was sent home to recover. He rejoined his unit on August 15th of 63 having missed the Battle of Gettysburg in July 1 through 3 of that year. While dining at home on December 1, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow received a telegram that, that his son had been severely wounded four days earlier. On November 27, 1863, while involved in a skirmish during a battle of the Mine Run campaign, Charlie was shot through the left shoulder with a bullet exiting under his right shoulder blade. If it, it had traveled across his back, skimmed his spine, Charlie avoided paralysis by less than an inch. He was carried into New Hope Church in Orange County, Virginia, and then transported to Rapidan River. Uh, Charles, uh, Charlie's father and younger brother immediately set out for Washington, D.C., arriving on December 3rd. Charlie arrived by train on December 5th. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was alarmed when, he in, when informed by the army surgeon that his son's wound was very serious and that paralysis might ensue. Three surgeons gave a more favorable report that evening, suggesting recovery would require him to be long in healing at least six months. On Christmas Day, 1863, Longfellow, a 57-year-old widowed 
father of six children, the oldest of which had been nearly paralyzed as his country fought a war against itself, wrote a poem seeking to capture the dynamic and dissonance of his own heart in the world and the, and the world that uh, he observed around him. He heard the bells that Christmas day and singing of peace on earth, but he observed the world in, of injustice and violence that seemed to mock the truthfulness of this optimistic outlook. The theme of listening reoccurred throughout the poem, eventually leading to a subtleness of confident hope even in the midst of bleak despair. That's the storyline behind the, behind the poem. It's an interesting storyline. Because what is Longfellow really describing as, he, as he's dealing with his son, potentially paralyzed? Grief everywhere. Scarred face. Lost wife. And he is down in Washington, D.C. on Christmas morning. And there seems to be joy everywhere. The bells are, are pealing. People are going to church and they're singing Christmas carols and they're talking about Christmas. And he knows down south they're doing the exact same thing, right? And he looks at it and says, wait a second. Wait a second. We're singing about joy. We're singing about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And our world is aflame. Have things changed? We're not at war with the South. That war is over. By the way, he wasn't talking pro-North, anti-South, or anything like that. He's talking about just the condition of the world. Has the world changed? No. Are people at war with one another? My goodness. Officially, yes. Unofficially, it's everywhere, aren't it? Isn't it? I mean, nobody gets along, it seems like, anymore. Right? It's, it's incredible. Whether it's politics or other things, we're separated from one another. And my goodness, one of the biggest things on, on Facebook right now is, is these posts that are trying to describe how you can be with your family and not have a war. Like, what in the world? It gets back to what we're talking about with regard to Christmas tradition as well as Christian. I find myself joyful Excited, and at the same time, what? Really sad. Horrified. And not just what I see out there, but what I see here. And then I hear this song. In deep despair, I bow my head. There is no peace on earth. I said, for hate is strong and mocked the song. But peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How do we deal with that? A couple of things I would say. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's, first of all, starts by talking about those who are asleep. That is, they've died. That you do not grieve as others who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive and who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, what? Encourage one another with these words. That's what it says. Encourage one another with these words. And John, of course, you quoted John and then the Revelation. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We are in a time frame where there is still hatred. It's strong, isn't it? Our world is ripped apart. Everything around us is ripped apart. Relationships destroyed and damaged and limping. And everything is ugly everywhere you look. It's because we're in that already not yet time frame. Christ has come. But he's coming back yet. And in this already not yet time frame, we started out by talking about Christmas is not just December 25th or more specifically Christ's birth, right? It's about his death and his resurrection, his ascension and his return and the eternal state. But we are in that in-between frame, in between time where we struggle and we, it's difficult and we find ourselves even personally being schizophrenic almost, right? Being torn between all these deceptions on one hand and the truth on the other. Isn't that right? Deception on the one hand, truth on the other. There's going to come a day when that will no longer be. There's going to come a day when we are going to be set free from that deception, truth, conflict. And our lives will be completely summed up with truth. But this is not that day. The day we live in is the day that Longfellow wrote about. That's why Paul elsewhere in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we can turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I could be wrong. My mind's working away. No, I know it's not 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but it's a passage I want to look at. Uh, suddenly I just pulled a blank. There's a passage that Paul talks about, and Charlie, you may be able to help me on this one. Um, you may not. But... He, Paul writes, always grieving and yet always rejoicing. I pulled a blank on where it's at. Or he says it a different way, grieving but always rejoicing. That's the time frame we live in. Christmas, that is the birth of Christ, ultimately deals with the reality of grieving. Doesn't it? Ultimately, the birth of Christ deals with all grieving because ultimately we will be with Jesus. He will return and take us home. And so he will deal with all grieving. How I know that? Because the scriptures say in that day, what's going to happen? All something will be wiped away. All tears will be wiped away, right? But before that day, there is going to be grieving and yet rejoicing. This is the day we live in. If we find ourselves always rejoicing, we've missed the point. Because grieving is, is, is appropriately focused on the, the deception part of life. 6.10. 2 Corinthians 6.10. 6, 
it's always focused. On the one hand, it's focused on the deception. The grieving is always focused on the, re- on the deception. It recognizes the deception in me and in the world. It recognizes that there is deception raging in me. And it recognizes that there is deception raging out in the world. It's ruling out in the world, isn't it? But it's raging in me. But there's a war going on. And so I rejoice. But the, the deception, or the, the, the grieving is firstly because of that, because of the deception. But I would also argue the grieving is also related to something else. The grieving is related, this takes me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The grieving is related to, notice what ver, chapter 5 verse 1 says and following. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we what? We groan. This is another word for what? Grieve. In this tent, that is this life we live in today, if we are believers who are focused on truth and being focused on the truth, we are going to see the deception, right? In ourselves and in the world. And in this tent, we groan. Why? Because we are longing to put on our what? Heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, we are always of good courage. Wait a second, he just said we groan. Always of good courage. Just another way of saying grieving and rejoicing. So, which he says in the next chapter. So we are always of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. Why? Because verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Referring to the judgment, the coming judgment. But what is he describing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? He's talking about that future, right? Where Christ is going to return. He's going to completely fulfill what he came to do that he started doing at the birth of, him, of Jesus. He's going to completely fulfill. But in this state, we're in the already not yet time frame. So it's appropriate to grieve. And yet it's appropriate to rejoice. But what is Paul really saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5? Here's what he's really saying. He's saying, although it's appropriate, chapter 6, although it's appropriate to grieve, and it's appropriate to rejoice. It's right to do both. The emphasis in both 5 and 6 is on which? Grieving or groaning or rejoicing? Which is it? It's rejoicing. It's rejoicing. It's looking forward. 
We are always of good courage. Why? Because the focus is upon Christ who is coming. I'm going to add what Lois and Ken both said together. I'm going to merge both of you together. You said Christ, and you said what's coming. I'm going to merge together. The focus is on Christ coming. Isn't it? The focus is on Christ coming. Or to put it a different way, being with Christ. And that's exactly where, where, where Longfellow went. Isn't it? Did you hear the last line? I'm going to read the, the, the part again. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. And then there's this pregnant pause. In, 19, in 1863, as Longfellow is standing in the middle of Washington, D.C. in the morning of Christmas, and the bells in all the churches are peeling away about peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He says, he records in the last, line, last sentence of the, or last um, um, verse of the, of the poem. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I don't believe for a second that Longfellow is talking about the end of the war that we call the Civil War. He's talking about the conclusion of the war. He's talking about the conclusion of the war with an already defeated foe. Satan was defeated at the crucifixion, was he not? He was absolutely defeated and Sin was defeated, and death was defeated. But yet, Satan is still having some way, isn't he? Sin is still prevalent in our world. Sin still rages in our lives, does it not? Oh, but for Longfellow, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. And isn't that what Matthew 28 says? All power, all authority has been given unto me. The wrong shall fail. And the right shall prevail. And the right is Christ. The wrong is the evil kingdom. Satan's kingdom. That's why in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, at the end of 10, Paul says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All wrongs will be righted. Wrong will fail and right will prevail. And then from there on, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. Because when you do understand when the angels spoke to the shepherds outside of Bethlehem, and made their declarations. Those declarations were actually absolutely condemning to the shepherds. Because the text says at the end of, of the declaration by the angels, it talks about it's to, toward people with whom God is pleased. And there was no one that God was pleased with. No one that the Father was pleased with. Which is why Christ came.
as a baby. And when his work on the cross is applied by the Spirit to our lives, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Now we have peace with God, do we not? Why? Because of what Christ accomplished and has been applied to our lives. Right? His work has been applied. And it's effective. Redemption accomplished, redemption applied. But again, we live in this already not yet time frame. And so the picture of Christmas, the storyline of Christmas must, for us who are believers, be centered on something really gigantic. And a thing that it must be centered upon is that day when we will be with Jesus and there will be peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That, that, that day is, is today, right, for us, if we're believers. But oh, not like it will be. John himself said, we don't know what we will be, but we know we will be what? Like him. That means we're not like him now. <laughs> but we will be. We will be. And when we will be, and when, when judgment takes place, the ultimate and final judgment takes place, the reality is, in the new heaven and new earth, you know what we're going to find? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. The thing that we cannot comprehend today. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. That's not man to man. That's God to man. Man to God. In that day, peace on earth. Goodwill toward men will be universal. Oh, what a day. I will be set free from all of my schizophrenia. You will be set free from all your schizophrenia. Of I use that term not psychologically. I'm talking about the picture. Between our sin and our deceptions... And, and the reality of Christ. And that day we will see Christ as he is. Today we see through a glass dimly. Isn't that what the scriptures say? 1 Corinthians 13. But in that day, we will see clearly as we are seen. Oh, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You know what we should be doing during Christmas season? And not just during Christmas season, but the rest of our lives? Living that reality. Because it's promised. Isn't it? It's promised. See, we can live in our reality we have today. We can. We can live in this reality and continue to live this, this schizophrenic life, deception on this side and Christ on the other side and, and, and never go to war against, those, against that, that problem for the glory of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do that. No joy. Certainly not the Himalayas of joy. Maybe the Poconos occasionally. No Himalayas of joy. It's faux joy. That's all it is. Because ultimately, when we allow deception to remain, you know what we find? Inevitably, the deception does what? It takes over. Doesn't it? It absolutely takes over, friends. 
Or we could drink at the well. I'm sorry, at the spring. And keep drinking at the spring. Or we could eat the bread of life and keep eating the bread of life. See, the deception part is that Old Testament digging cisterns that can hold no water. <laughs> That's what it is. Digging cisterns that can hold no water. And I just keep on digging them and digging them and digging them. You know, Christ came to set us free. And when he sets us free, he sets us free completely. When he came, he came to bring life and to bring it abundantly. Did he not? Oh, what a joyous thing it is to be reminded of Christ's birth. And I pray for us that as we, as believers, drink deeply of Jesus and fellowship with Jesus, one of the first things that we will by the Spirit see, I pray for us that the first thing we see is the deceptions in our own hearts. The absolute deceptions. It's really cheap cheap to see all the deception out there. That's deception I can do nothing about. But to start to see the deceptions here as the light of Christ shines in my life. And as it does, deceptions cannot stand. And I start to find Jesus more and more worthy. And at the same time, I find now there's a new groaning going on. It's not the groaning that I'm used to. Oh, if I only had this, I'd be happy. Oh, which is classic at Christmas, right? Oh, if I only had that, if I only had that, I hope I get this. Oh, I... Instead, I find the groaning becoming more and more about the earthly tent. <laughs> about the earthly tent. That's the point of Paul here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The groaning is about, I'm in this tent. And I don't want to be in this tent anymore. I want to be with Jesus. I want to be home. I want to be clothed with purity. I want to be clothed with righteousness. I want to be clothed with Christ. But at the same time, I know that I'm here for his glory. So, we're at Christmas season where we're reminded of Jesus. Probably the most guaranteed religious holiday that's on the wrong date of any of the religious holidays. Let us this Christmas season remember rejoicing, grieving. Grieve well. Grieve strongly at Christmas. If you go through Christmas ungrieving, that's a problem. You're deceived. Grieve strongly at Christmas. Firstly, about yourself. Grieve strongly. And secondly, grieve strongly about the deception in our world, which should all lead us to grieve strongly that we're not with Christ. <laughs> and then turn to rejoicing. Because what's going to happen? All this mess... All this mess is one day going to be passed. Right? All this mess is, mess is one day going to be over. And all this mess is, mess is going to be replaced with the glorious kingdom of God and the gloriousness of being with Jesus. Amen? So let's enjoy 
a correct view of Christmas this year. God is on the march. He's not asleep, nor is he dead. <laughs> Wrongs will be gone. And right will rule. Because Christ rules. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us. As believers, it is too easy for us to get deceived. It's too easy for us to fool ourselves. It's too easy to get distracted by the shiny things. It's too easy for us to get captivated by all sorts of things other than Jesus. And so during this time and onward, help us in recognizing Christ that we will grieve and yet rejoice. Lord, I pray that you will give us a heart that longs for the day when peace on earth, goodwill toward men, reaches its fullest fruition, and you are glorified. And in the interim, during this already not yet time frame, Lord, I pray that you will help us. That we, each, will be little kingdoms of God. Bringing glory to you. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. In your name I pray. Amen.